So let's continue in Romans 12, um, verses 1 and 2. I, I, I do believe that we will, contrary to some people's belief, we will finish this section one day. It is going to happen. Um, yes, this is part D, so I'm sorry. But there's 26 letters in the alphabet, so I don't, I don't worry. We've got time. <laughs> so uh, um, let's continue this, this uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, I, I, so let's prepare for this. I, I remember a good friend of mine that we were talking, or and 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 uh, we'd worship together, and, and he said, he said what he wanted was somebody just to tell him what to do. Just, just tell me what to do, and and um, we would say, we'd just just follow Christ. We're just following Christ, and he would say, that's that's not good enough. I want somebody to tell me what to do. And, 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 you know, there is, and I understand what he's saying, there's some danger of that. But there's also, uh, there's a very real and present danger of Christianity. And, and it's always been there. It's always been a part of this. And as you know, and I know, there are two ditches out there. There is the ditch of license, and that's one we've certainly fallen into that in, our, in the Christianity today, that this license, that, you know, that, that you can do whatever you want to. That there is no form to Christianity. There is no... There is no way, you know, there's no, there's no walk. You can do whatever you, whatever you want to. It doesn't mean anything to be a Christian. You can live whatever you, as long as you, as long as you said the, 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 the right words, you can do however you want to. And, and certainly that's not, um, as Dan was talking about, that's just not biblical. It's just not, it's just not a clear picture. And the other ditch is the one of legalism. And, and, and both of these are, are out there. In our, in our day, certainly license is a bigger problem. <coughs> and, you know, and there is this, but, but we, we have to recognize both of these, and it's interesting that Paul deals with both of them in Romans, that there is this, there is a form, there's, there's a, a walk, a life, you know, that we're living out this Christianity, but there's a danger of legalism that comes along with it too. So let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, as this, this very pivotal part. As I said, this is the foundation for the rest of Romans, these next four chapters. And just what, the, what does this gospel look like in our life? What does this salvation mean for us? So Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, as I said, this, this section is the primer. This is, he's teaching us how to worship. Paul says we need to know how to worship, church. We need to know what that looks like. And we need to know that worship is not just singing songs and lifting our hands. And worship is not just, it's not just being emotionally moved. Worship is about living a life to God, living a life to the glory of God. And as, as Paul's teaching us what this means, that what is our spiritual worship? What does that look like and mean for us? We looked at the first three parts, and we said that there was a call to worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. There's an incentive to worship or a force. So what is the, the impetus? And I, and I keep emphasizing that that you have to understand what is, the, what is it that's going to move us to worship? It's the mercies of God. That, that, 
This is what moves us to worship. This is what moves us to do anything. It's God's mercy. Now, this is not the generic mercy that's on the whole world that, 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 you know, that, that we see around us, that this person could have died in a car wreck, but it was God's mercy that protected them. No, this is very specific. It, 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 it's, this is, instead, this is the mercy that God has for the elect. They've looked upon him. They have seen God in his glory and, and know that they should be destroyed, just like Isaiah. But instead of, instead of being destroyed, God removes your iniquity and you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, we said this, this kind of flows out of Romans 9 and as Paul is quoting this. And as he quotes Moses, Moses said, God, let me see your glory. Moses is there and he wants to see the glory of God. And God answers, I will have mercy on who I have mercy and compassion on who I have compassion. This is the mercy that Paul is talking about, that mercy of seeing the glory of God. This is the impetus or the force of worship. You have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ when you know that you deserved God's judgment. If you don't know that, if you don't know that you deserve God's judgment, I mean, we're not talking about, well, I think I do. No, you know it. Have you ever seen God? And, and I really can't emphasize this about. It is about seeing, I cannot emphasize this enough. It is about seeing God and seeing him in his glory. This is the mercy. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is the instrument of worship. And next, we talked about the response of worship. It was to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This, this, is, this is what we're talking about. This is, how you, this is what you do. And we said, as we said last week, to do this, it's not about changing the way you act. It's about changing the way you think. And so we started last week on the process of worship. And it's about a Christian worldview. And we'll finish the section of this week. And then we're only down to two sections, the outcome of worship and the picture of worship. So as we said last week, this, this, we have to change the way we think. That, that to present your body as a living sacrifice, we have to change how we see the world and how we think about the world. It's changing your mind. And we said the problem is that all unbelievers, and this would include us, before God opened our eyes, could not think reasonably or rationally. In the Garden of Eden, when all men fell in Adam, all of men fell. All, we all lost the ability to reason. Romans 1.21 For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinkings, and their foolish heart were darkened. <coughs> and as we said before Sunday school, more and more, you look around, and you think, "Yep, you want to see the picture of irrationality? You want to see the picture of foolish thinking? Look at having arguments over what to name a toy. We're, we're, we can't call it Mr. Potato Head anymore." What a picture of futility of, of thinking. And as I said last week, to call 
all unbelievers futile or lost ability to rational reason is not to call them stupid. I'm not saying that at all. There are many, many brilliant unbelievers. It just means it's not, they cannot think reasonably. They cannot look at a world all around them and come up with the conclusion that there's a God in heaven. You know, <coughs> there are better odds. There are better odds of you taking an alarm clock apart, putting it in a box, and shaking it, shaking it, shaking it, and throwing it out the window. And when it lands, it's running perfectly and having the right time. There are better odds than that happening than this all of creation happened by, by chance. But yet many people believe that. There are people that literally believe you could take a, a box, fill it with all the parts of an alarm clock, shake it long enough, and if you did it long enough and threw it out the window, eventually, and tried enough times, eventually, you're going to have a clock that runs on exactly the right time when it hits the ground. That's not reasonable, guys. That's irrational to think that. But yet they do. <coughs> so the Bible says that men became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul went on in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, and said, we, 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 we will change our thinking, assuming that we know Christ at all. Also looked at that diagram of the, of the worldview picture, and we said that, that to change one's behavior, you had to change the center. It doesn't work from the outside in. It, it, it's changing your worldview or, or what's real. That, that, that so, so often we get focused on becoming behavior modification. We're worried about changing our behavior and not changing the center, the heart of it. You know, and as we go through the rest of Romans, we're going to talk about some very specific behaviors or very specific things. Paul's going to talk about how do you act? Paul's going to talk about how do you relate to this government? Paul's going to talk about how do we relate to one another? How we're going to love one another? And, and how, do we, how do we live out our faith? And he's going to be very, very, very specific about this. And, 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 and it becomes so easy to put on a form of Christianity that is devoid of heart. That I'm, I'm going to live out this Christian life. I'm going to do those things that I think are right because I, because I think if I do that, I'm going to get to heaven. So I'm going to live this out because this is what I should be doing. But there's no, there's, but the sinner's wrong. The heart of it's wrong. And, and this is a very scary and a very ugly picture of Christianity. It's a very ugly picture. And I believe that many, many in the church have revolted against this picture of Christianity and in some ways have gone too far. So let me show you, as we look at this, <coughs> I'm sure what I mean by this. In Romans 12, 2, when Paul says not to be conformed to this world, as I mentioned last week, the word conformed, or you could use the word configured, is literally translated, stop you, stop you being conformed or configured. Meaning, the, the, the word means shape, 
or, or, or conform to an image or picture. It, it, it's, it's about the outsider. How does it look like? It's, it's, it says, it's like forming putty or clay. You know, so I can, I can take this and I can make it and I can shape it how I want it to. And Paul says, stop this. Stop being conformed to this outside, to this image. And, and the word is in the, the, the middle voice in which the subject takes part in action. So it's not just what the world's doing on us. It's about what we're doing. <coughs> Paul is not saying, stop letting the world conform you. Instead, he's, he's saying, stop your actions. Stop conforming yourself to the world and letting the world conform you too in things of the way of the world. Instead of this, be transformed or transfigured. So, so don't, don't be, be, be conformed, but be transformed, metamorphosized, be, be transfigured. This word is passive. It's about something done to you. It's about something acting upon you. And it's about the inside. The same word Matthew uses in chapter 17, verse 2, when he's speaking of, of Jesus, he describes as Jesus' transfiguration. He didn't just look different. For those few minutes, he laid aside his humanity and was fully divinity. There was a change. But there's an interesting difference between those two words. In Matthew, it was active voice. God did it. I mean, he, he, Jesus did this. He, he had a part in it. He was transformed instead of the passive voice. So it, it, it's, it's about this, this interchange that takes place. It's also the words used in 2 Corinthians 3.8. As Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled faces, are beholding the glory of God. I'm sorry, the are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He says, as we are sitting there, and we talked about the mercy of God, is seeing God in His glory, seeing that, as we're sitting there and we're beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. This is happens. It's a work that we just sit there, and all we're doing is, man, we're just looking at God. We're just sitting there, and we're just amazed by God and by His glory. And this, this is, how often are you just amazed by the glory of God? When's the last time that the glory of God has just captured you, and you were just lost in it? And you were just beholding God's glory. You know, you read a passage and you see what God did and it's so wonderful. And you just have to stop and just <sighs> meditate in that. Just meditate on that. And you're just beholding the glory of God by, by faith. And you're believing it's true by faith. And you're just sitting there and you're beholding the glory of God. And, and Paul says, when you're doing that, when you're doing that, you are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. There is a transformation taking place. 
It's taken place as we behold the glory of the Lord. That there's something amazing about that, and I and, and I wonder. Maybe one of the reasons not more transformation has been taking place is we're so busy in our lives we don't have time to just sit and behold the glory of God. We just don't have time to just sit and meditate on what a great and glorious God we have. We don't have time to, to, to have those, those words come into our life that leads us to this point of just seeing God in all of his glory. And which, you know, I might add, this really fits that ideal of mercy we talked about. That mercy is seeing God's glory. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. You see the glory, you want to see God's glory and are being transformed. You see, I absolutely believe there is a real problem with the way that Christianity has been lived out in the world. I think that sin and license is rampant in our churches. But the way that we change is not by trying to stop doing those things that are wrong. We're changed by beholding the glory of God. Which I feel like we try to make people live right. And they've never seen God. They've never seen Him. As 2 Corinthians says, And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to them who are perishing. That the God of this world has blinded their unbelieving eyes. And they do not see God. The only way that we're changed, transformed, transfigured, is by beholding the glory of God. It seems like we try to tell people, don't live that way or don't live this way. Instead, we should be asking, how can you live that way when you're seen before God? How can you look at God and, 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 and contemplate living that way? That doesn't make sense to me. I, I, you know, I, how, can you, how can you stand before a holy, righteous God a, 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 as a preacher? You know, as David shared in the text, and you've been divorced twice and live with a woman. And yet you, you say you're standing for How do you do that? How, how do you live that way? That doesn't make sense to me. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you stand up and say, thus saith the Lord? And, and be convicted of statutory rape like the pastor Antioch. How, how does that work? I don't, I don't understand that. Something's wrong. There's something wrong. This metamorphosis means something. We, we, we become a different person from the inside out as we are beholding the glory of God. This, ha this has to happen, guys. Paul says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Or the instrument of transformation is the renewing of our mind. So how do you how do you renew your mind? 
you know, our first instinct. If I asked you that question, our first instinct said would be to, to study a lot, to read a lot, to read the Bible a lot. But does that renew our mind or just increase our knowledge? So this, this word for renewing is used one other place in scriptures. And it's funny, Dan quoted it this morning already. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, meaning when you saw it, when you saw for the first time the goodness and the loving kindness of our God, when it appeared before you, it had been there forever, but suddenly it appears before you finally see it for the first time, He saved us. Not because of works done by, done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal. It's the same word, renewal of the Holy Spirit. This renewal is a work of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, don't try to, be, don't try to conform to the world, but be transformed or changed into a new person as you stand before the face of God by the work of, this, of the Holy Spirit, this renewal on the way you think. Or we could say grace, by grace, by that divine influence of God on your heart. That this happens by grace. Now, I think, I believe that most of us have agreed and, and, and know all this. We've heard this passage before and had it heard it taught many times. And we know all this from the very beginning. And while it's good to hear it again and again, <coughs> there's just be a question of, so what? Or how do I apply it? I told Mark yesterday when we met, I, can, I remember hearing this sermon many times. You know, this is, this is a kind of a go-to for a lot of pastors from Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it's real, real common, real easy to go to. Not for a month and a half, but for a sermon anyway. Um, and, and, but when I've heard this, you know, they always say talk about sin. You know what I mean? When they talk about don't be conformed to the world, they're talking about don't being caught up in the things of the world or don't be caught up in sin, which certainly it applies. Absolutely it applies. But I, I really, as I told Mark yesterday, I think Paul, first and foremost, ha he's not talking about sin as far as the church generally defines sin. That first and foremost, Paul has a different concern here with this. You see, Paul's already wrote to us in Romans 6, and Paul is very clear in Romans 6 about our relationship with sin in the world. You know, you read through, all this is one letter. This wasn't, Paul didn't write it in you know, chunks. He wrote it all together to be taken together. And Romans 6 is really clear on a believer's life about what part sin has in a believer's life. You know, we have verses 1 and 2. Um, what shall we say then? Are we continuing in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in, to sin still live in it? Or 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to obey its passions. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but yourself to God, who have been, to, as those who have been bought from death to life and your members to God's instrument of righteousness. For sin 
will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Or in verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and, and it's in eternal life. See, Paul, if we, if we read through Romans, Paul says, I'm not worried. I mean, you know as a believer, <coughs> you're going to deal with sin. You know that. If you're a believer, you know this. He's not saying this is what you should do. He said, no, this is real. As, as, as Dan said this morning, you know, that, that if, you're, if, if God's working your life, there will be sanctification. You will look on the world and say that is sin. And while this passage applies, I think Paul has a, a slightly different focus here. Because the reality is there are sins that the church tolerates, church don't tolerate. So let me ask a question. That's kind of a trick question. You know, I'll warn you right now. Which is a worse, which is a worse sin? Lying or doing a good thing for the wrong reason? Both wrong, right? There's no difference. Lying is a sin. But you can do the right thing for the wrong reason and it still be a sin. Because you're doing it for your own glory. See, I, I, can, I can take coming to church and turn into a sin. And I'm so talented at sinning. I've had many years of practice. I'm the most practiced sinner I know. And I can take, I can take something good as gathering with believers and turn it into a sin so that you'll think good of me. And you'll think, man, that guy's doing all the right stuff. <coughs> I can turn reading the Bible into a sin. So you'll think good of me. So being conformed to the world, I believe, means more than just being conformed to the sin of the world. It also means being, being conformed so that I look Christian. I look good. <clears throat> we, can do, we can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons and still be wrong. See, Paul's going to spend the next four chapters talking about how to live out this faith. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a form of Christianity. There's a form the way you look in Christianity. And Paul's going to talk about this and what this looks like. Excuse me a second. But the danger is, there's a real danger of being conformed instead of transformed. There's a real danger of, 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 of taking this stuff, taking what Paul's going to talk in the next four chapters, and say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do these things. <coughs> That'll make me right. That'll make me look righteous. I'm going to do this so the people look at me and say, man, what a great Christian. And there's a danger in that. And I fear far too often we speak on and we look like we're more concerned with conformity than transformation. I really do. When we look around us and we see that image, it, it's all about being conformed. 
instead of being transformed. We talk more about how you're to live out this world than about are you beholding Christ? We talk more about, okay, now you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that instead of are you just sitting and looking at God? Are you, are you being amazed by who God is? Are, are, is, is God's Spirit working in you? you know, there, like I said, there is a form. There's a look of Christianity. If you're in Christ, you will look different from the world. There is no place. Hear me again. There is no place for license in the church. Absolutely not. There is no place from this idea that, well, you can do whatever you want to. It doesn't matter. As long as, as that preacher said, well, I prayed to receive Christ in my heart. Now, I'm going I'm to rape, steal, murder, and kill, but I made the prayer. There's no place for that in Christianity. That is so ungodly and unbiblical. There is a form. Your faith will affect the way you live and walk in the world. It will, without question. But the answer is not to change the way you live. The answer is, are you beholding Christ? Are you looking to Him? Are you being transformed? Or is your life just about conformity? Well, I really think this is the way I should live, and this is the way I should look, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act this way. So everybody look at me, and they'll say, man, that's a good Christian. Or... Are you, are you, are, do you hear this call? Man, I, I want to be transformed. And the way this happened is I just behold Christ. I just look upon the glory of God. So I believe that, that if you've done that, you will gather with believers. You enjoy it because they'll, they'll encourage you to see the glory of God. You'll be more concerned with your witness for the world. You will love the Word of God. Why? Because it speaks on the glory of God, and you love it. It's not a work. It's not a duty. It's seeing God. It's seeing His glory. But this must come from transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit and not by trying to conform yourself to an image. Guys, it is hard hard work to conform yourself to an image. It is so hard. Man, it, it's so, so hard. I don't know that because I've tried it for years. It'll wear you out. It'll wear you out. Well, I, I, I just, man, I failed again. I'm just, I'm just such a failure in, in, in making my life look this way. It's a burden. And Christ didn't say lay some of, his, some of your burdens on him. He said lay them all on him. Do you, can you trust him to transform you? Can you trust him? Say, I believe you can. I believe you can. Paul says, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of the, uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit, by the renewal of your mind, by the Holy Spirit, this work of God in your life. Here you are, you're sitting there and you're just beholding God, beholding the glory of God. 
and you see a difference. And when I'm sinning, when I'm failing, go back and see him again. Don't try harder. Look to him. Call upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul, well, I think what Paul worries about is we're going to read through the rest of his Romans and we're going to read these things and we're going to make a checklist. Okay, if I got this one down, check. Got this one down, check. Because, man, if I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to walk out this gospel, then I got to conform to these things. And Paul said, no. Yes, these will be things that will happen in your life because of transformation, because of this working, this inward work in the Spirit that changes you. It's so easy to get this out of order. So, so easy.